You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Tuesday, October 17th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and you are riding home with me. I hope you enjoyed the last couple shows that I dropped over the weekend. How do you like that? How do you like that industry term? Fancy tip. I'm dropping, I'm dropping these audio files. I hope you like those shows. Two interesting subjects, I think. And you, even more significant, even more significant than Christian commute shows. It's October 17th, which means that the next Saturday is the third Saturday in October. That's right. My favorite day of the year. The weather is perfect. You got apple cider. And the most important football game in the world comes on. Alabama versus Tennessee. And I am planning, Lord willing, if if Jesus doesn't come back, to go to the Alabama-Tennessee game with my brother, my sister-in-law, and our friend Joe, all of whom you should be familiar with. So we should be able to get back into the swing of things, hopefully on Friday, with having a pick from Brother William. I didn't do a show uh, for the last Friday, so I didn't have Brother William's Arkansas pick. We We missed it. So because of me being out of the office for the last couple weekends, we haven't had a pick from Brother William, so we should be able to enjoy that. I better remind him to come up with one. So there is excitement on the horizon, but it's the best kind of excitement. It's travel from me, which doesn't affect the recording of the show. It should not cause me to cancel an episode. And I'm thinking, no promises, that I might do a bonus show Thursday night, because I have to go late Thursday night to pick my brother up from the airport. So if I can think of any special topics, I don't know, we'll see. Feeling cute, might delete, might delete later. I, uh, I might do a special episode of the Christian Commute. My brother's like, well, let me know if it's too late for you. I'm like, what am I, 100 years old where I can't drive at night? It's 11 o'clock at night. I can come get you. We'll see. We'll see. And, of course, uh, I'm going to miss one of my soccer games for the first time ever. I'm going to let the assistant coach handle it. I mean, truth be told, he's a better soccer coach than I am. I don't know why I'm in charge. I just am. But uh, I'm going to let him handle it. Our year-long unbeaten streak is over. So I don't feel like i got to be there to stop the streak. My brothers, let's keep the streak going. And i got a video camera, too, so I can still watch it. I've got an AI video camera, and I can still watch it and tell everybody what they did wrong and right. I think that's one of the things I like about coaching. I'm a critical person. I'm there. I'm that way with theology. What, what, what kind of degree do I have, y'all? A master's in apologetics. As in, you're doing this wrong, and we're doing this right. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Anyway, that's a bunch of time filler. You know why? Because today's show topic is a Mormon consistency trap. And we got no question in the inbox. I have been forsaken once again. So I can't think of any more songs about nothing. 
I've threatened to sing the entire Pearl Jam catalog, and I might do that one day. But quite frankly, I think I think an, an Elton John song serves the best uh, express serves as the best expression of, of how I feel because I get so sad when I don't have a question in the inbox. Turn them on, turn them on, turn on those sad songs. When every beat of hope is gone, why don't you tune in and turn them on? Which is an ironic song, isn't it? Because it's upbeat. And the melody, the tempo, I don't know melody. I don't know the difference between melody and tempo. I think tempo is how fast you go. I don't know what melody is. Uh, but it's something to do with music. And the tempo and the, the melody of this song seem like, oh, we're happy. We could be singing a Hillsong song at church. Come on, come on, get saved before the eschaton. Before every bit of hope is gone. Won't you get with Jesus and getting on? You know, just you know, we're all happy, yeah. We're, we're ooh la la. But no, it's about sad songs. It's about. I mean, and there's plenty of Elton John. Maybe, maybe what Elton John wants you to do is turn on one of his sad songs, like like Leave On, Leave On, Leave On likes his money. Better to send it a question. It's just going to happen to you over and over. He makes a lot to say. And Jesus, I need questions about Jesus to make the show go on. Or I'll have to podcast all day with a bunch of content gone. See, I'm just, I'm singing, I can sing Elton John at you and words I make up all day. So unless you want to keep listening to this, if you want to make it stop, send your question about theology and apologetics to SethDunn88 at gmail.com or dial 470-315-0875. I had questions every day for three years. My streak was broken, and then my dragons lost two to one. Leave me something. I feel like John Proctor. Leave me my name, because it is my name, and I have no other. Daniel Day-Lewis retired. Hollywood, if you need a replacement, I'm sitting right here. I could be there in eight hours. Those godless Hollywood people don't want me. And I wouldn't want to be in Christian movies because they're awful. They're all just really, really awful. And I like that uh, I like that Kendrick Brothers movie, though, where they steal the kid. They steal the pickup truck and a kid's in the back. It's about cops. Is that courageous? I don't know. I can't remember. My favorite Kendrick Brothers movie is Flywheel. I think that's the best of all of them. The one with Priscilla Shower, my thumb is pointing down and you can't see it. 
Matthew chapter 26, verses 34 through 36. Matthew chapter 26, verses 34 through 36. Talking about the sheep and the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, that is the sheep, Come, you you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So what did the king who has come in his glory, that's Jesus, what did he say to the sheep on his right? Who, Like a, like a shepherd, he separated the sheep from the goats. The ones on the right, he says, inherit the kingdom. What have they done for Jesus. What have they done for the king? Because the king says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Anybody ever heard of a king who didn't have anything to eat? I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Anybody ever heard of a king who didn't have copious amounts of wine and clean water? Maybe some kind of desert king where they don't have any water. Oh, great. Oh, great. There's a state trooper in the left lane. This is going to be a slow ride. Slow right to dance, take it easy. See, I don't even like that song. It's a compulsion. Who sings that? Fog hat? I don't, I don't like that song. And I know fun facts about it. Like that song was in, uh, what's that Richard Linkletter movie with, with Matthew McConaughey? All right, all right, all right. It's uh, the one where Randy Floyd doesn't want to sign the pledge. Dazed and Confused. They wanted an Aerosmith song for that movie. And I think they had to settle for slow ride. Yeah, I think that's real trivia. I could be confusing it with uh, the theme song of that 70s show. Because they wanted Aerosmith tickets in, in that movie. I don't know. Let's get back to what the king had. When has the king not ever had water or wine? How is the king a stranger who needs shelter to be invited in? The king has the whole kingdom. And he's a stranger who's got to be invited to somebody's house, who's got to be shown hospitality. He's the king. Everybody knows the king. He clothed me. Ever known a naked king? I'm not top, talking about the emperor with no clothes. But a king who didn't not only have clothes, but the finest garments, the finest purple clothes. I mean, I guess kings get sick, but don't they have the best physicians available? And when does a king ever go to prison. But all these things Jesus says the sheep have done for him. And he switches from saying the son of man when he's still referring to himself and he refers to himself as the king. It's the king, him, who's separating the sheep and the goats. So now he is talking about himself as the king. And this is significant. And we're going to cover the other half of the meaning and why this is meaningful because it doesn't make any sense for the king to be so needy. We're going to get to that next time. When we start with verse 37. I'm going to, I'm going to tease this out as long as I can. We're 1,390 shows in according to Podomatic. And I am running out of New Testament. But let's look at the earlier part of this. There's a kingdom prepared for them. And by the way, this is not what this verse is about. I'm talking about the application of the church being Israel, or Israel as 
as a nation of ethnic people who don't believe in Jesus, at least, having a separate land. Because I got I to gotta back up a couple shows ago because I was talking about the church in Israel. And it's sort of my pet thing because it's sort of the wrongest thing in where I live, right? Where I live, churches have a pretty fundamental, a sound fundamental view about marriage and sexuality, about, about life. You know, we're pro-life with babies and pro-kill them with murderers. And marriage, man and a woman, don't put up with any homosexual stuff, except for Atlanta. It's a very gay city in the world. It's like San Francisco of the South, but I'm talking about in the church. Okay. I live in a very Baptist area, and Baptist is right. Anyway, but the one thing that, that we're wrong about, and I think generally it's just so wrong about, is the premillennial dispensationalism. I, I just, ugh, you guys, I've talked about that. So I, that's why I always harp on this. I want to harp on it again. Jesus is talking about two Jews. The Jews is the audience here. They're the audience of the book originally, and they're the audience of what he's saying immediately they're in the land of Israel. So who's listening to Jesus right now? A bunch of Jewish people. Matthew, original audience of the gospel. So you're talking about something written in 70 AD. This is 40 years after the fact. Jewish audience. Jewish audience. Luke, more of a Gentile audience. Sort of has some things that say, well, as the Jews used to do this. Because he's sort of explaining it to everybody. And Luke's probably a Gentile. I mean, we don't know, but we think he is. Some we the other over the we all of us were publishing Bible scholar works. Now, I'm not one of them, but we conservative Bible believers. I think oh, there's a lot of people who think that he's a Gentile. Anyway, Jewish audience inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let me ask you this: Is there a different kingdom? prepared from the foundation of the world to be inherited by Jewish Christians, ethnically Jewish Christians, that's different from ethnically Gentile Christians. Now, what is ethnically Gentile? Everybody who ain't a Jew. Is there a different kingdom prepared for them before the foundation of the world? And the answer is no. The answer is no. And there's all kind of little tidbits in the scripture that you can get. It's not teaching anything about land promises. It's not what it's about. But you can see like we're all the same. We're all sheep. All believers are sheep on the right. And some professed believers, I guess all professed believers because he's talking about believers, not people who don't believe, so-called believers, are goats on the left. And we can see all throughout Matthew that there are people who are professedly, faithfully Jewish, but they don't believe in Jesus and the Messiah. They're goats. Remember Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. There's no walking down the aisle and singing, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Nobody's doing that yet. Nobody's quote-unquote getting saved. But they're still believers and they're still justified by faith, just like Abraham was. And these are phonies who are not living for the king. They were Jewish. And there's going to be Jewish and Gentiles. Those are the sheep on the right. We know this. Looking back through history, through Acts, and the grafting in, and Romans, 
I know that because I'm a Gentile and I'm saved. That we're in one group, sheep, the elect, in one kingdom, prepared before the foundation of the world. Those of us who are ever going to get saved and inherit the kingdom, all this was set up from before the foundation of the world. And we are entering our Father's house. The King James says there are many mansions there. The other translations probably say it better. It's rooms in a house, I think is what it means. But, I mean, does anybody want to see, uh, hear a Southern Gospel song singing about rooms in a house or mansions in the sky? I so wish I owned I owned a, a Christian music company because I would just knock off secular songs that the people who listen to Fish Radio don't don't listen to and I would make millions. I'd have mansions in the sky. It's where you go when you die. Get saved right now. Mansions in the sky. That's Riders on the Storm by the Doors. But they don't listen to the Doors. They listen to heretics who sing like popular music people. Come on, come on now, persevere. I will not fall away. What was that promise that you made? Because Jesus promised to save you. Not forsake. See? That's, uh, what's the name of that song? Come on, come on now, touch me. I don't even know the name of that song. What was that promise that you made? Is Well, I don't know the name to the door song. I can, I, can, I can turn anything from the doors to Fleetwood Mac into, uh, into a Christian song. Baby, baby, baby. That's all I, I started. Amy Grant, her non-Christian song. Like Amy Grant's pop song. Like she got pop. Baby, baby. I can just tell it. Jesus, Jesus. See, sun is shining for you. And I just want to go to church and worship you. Oh, if I only had the musical talent. If only. If only. Mansions in the sky. What was I even talking about? Oh yeah, in my father's house there are many mansions. I go there, Jesus said in John, to prepare a place for you. So if we're all inheriting, all Christians of all nations, all nations, as Ergen Canner, you ever heard that sermon? All nations, all nations. Uh, Ergen Canner, preaching at Liberty, saying all nations. All nations. Seth says Seth in the car. From all nations, we're going to inherit the kingdom. So don't tell me about secular Israel in 1948 being God's God's people. I'm God's people. You're God's people. Like Oprah, I'm God's people. You're God's people. We're all getting this, we're all getting salvation. We're all inheriting the kingdom. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. And like I said, this is not teaching anything about that, but I don't know how you can come reading this scripture to a different conclusion. Alright, this is normally where we would move on to the inbox and somebody would shortly and succinctly answer or ask their question, say where they were from, and I would say, well, the short answer is no. And then I would spend ten minutes over explaining it. And then telling five minutes about some tangential personal experience I have with the situation. But that 15 minutes is gone. It's not there because nobody sent in a question in weeks. In weeks. So let's go on to today's show title, A Mormon 
consistency trap. I was listening on the way to work this morning to the Apologetics Profile podcast from Watchmen Fellowship. And they were, oh, I got to get over, because I'm not rude. I was going to get over for you, buddy, Honda Pilot. Sorry, I was getting over. Go ahead, I'm going to slow down so you can pass me. Go ahead, because I'm a considerate citizen of the kingdom and of I-75. All right. What was I talking about? Oh, yes, I was was (laughs) 41 years old. What was I talking about? What's my name? I got up the other day at work, and I walked. I was like, why did I get up? (laughs) I don't know why I'm standing here. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was going to get some tea. Happens more and more. Apologetics Profile. They were doing a podcast with uh, two former Mormons. I think one of them was the president of Ratio Christi, which is a campus apologetics organization, and James Walker, who's the president of Watchman Fellowship. And they were talking about how to deal with Mormon missionaries who come to your house, how to be prepared for their methods and arguments. And one of the things that they mentioned was the that the Mormons had an apostle and he could change doctrine at any time. And they quoted a philosophy professor from BYU talking about the truth of things and he was talking about, well, the, the professor was, and I don't remember the exact quote, but he was, well, you know, the, the, we can get new revelation that changes things. And all of a sudden it came to me that the next time I talk to Mormon missionaries, I am going to can catch them in a consistency trap. Now, full stop, time out. There's all kinds of ways to get a cult member to contradict himself. But if you get that Mormon or that uh, watchtower guy in a contradiction and you send him away confused and doubtful, unless you shared the saving gospel of Jesus Christ with him, you failed. Because we don't want to make Mormons non-Mormons. We want to make Mormons into true disciples of Jesus Christ. The same thing we do with a general agnostic lost person, the same thing we do with a mainline Christian who doesn't really believe, the same thing we do with a Roman Catholic, the same thing we be do with somebody who's like a Jack Baptist who doesn't really go to church but supposedly believes what we do, and the same things we do with the false converts in our church. We're not out to tell someone you're a false convert or you're a cult member. We're, we're out here to ultimately draw them to Jesus by putting them in a decision, a decision point over their sin and their lack of salvation from Jesus. We want to make Christians, fellow Christians, brothers in Christ. We want to evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. Apologetics should always be geared towards ultimate evangelism. Yeah, you think my religion's crazy. Crazy. Let me de- let me defend it so you can think it's reasonable, with gentleness and respect. And then let me let me say like what my ultimate you know underlying belief is is I'm saved through through faith by the grace of God. Or saved by grace through faith. Sorry, I was backwards. That's what you want to communicate. And you want to communicate to these cult members who are working, working, and working for the salvation with heavy burdens on them. That Jesus' burden is like, uh, light. My yoke is light. My, my, my burden is not heavy. Come to me, all ye who are weary 
and heavy laden because they're heavy laden and we want to give them rest in this, our true Sabbath, Jesus Christ. So, now let's talk about a consistency trap. I've covered this before on the show, and I'm going to cover it again. I learned about consistency traps getting my master's at Kennesaw State. It's college learning. College learning. Now, there's a bunch of uneducated salesmen out there, mainly car salesmen, and they, they, they're just naturally deceptive, as my brother says. Uh, salesmen have a different relationship with truth than the rest of us. But they want to get you in a consistency trap. And I learned about this method in my business negotiation class. Why would somebody who's going to be a boring old accountant have to take business negotiation? Because one day you might end up at a, as a partner at a law firm and you need to negotiate fees and services. Or one day you might end up as a CFO and you need to negotiate long-term businesses deals like procurement agreements, labor relations, etc., etc., okay? So I'm going to use a car as an example of consistent a consistency trap. Those of you who've been listening for a long time have heard this before. You go into the car dealership and that car salesman's going to start qualifying you almost like cold readers do on the street when they're going to tell your fortune. Somebody here was had a relationship with a dead family man named Donna, Darlene, oh there, Darlene, right there, yes, yes, all right. So they're going to qualify you. First, have you been helped by somebody else? Because if you have been at a car dealership, they have the rule where you have to send them to the person that's helping them. If you haven't been helped, if you're not anybody's customer, oh, nice to meet you, my name is so-and-so, I'm Donnie. For some reason, I think these are, they're all named Donnie. My name's Donnie. Uh, I'm a salesman. What are you in the market for today? Oh, you want you want a minivan? Oh, you, you got a, you, I guess you have a lot of kids. Are you married? What's your wife's name? Whoa, how old are your kids? All right. You think that they're being friendly, that what they're doing is forming you, family, occupation, recreation, money. They're learning about the things you care about, and they're going to exploit those things to sell to you. So, yes, I'm looking for a minivan. I have, I'll just do me, I have two 10-year-olds, a 9-year-old, a, uh, oh gosh, how old are my kids, a 6-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 2-year-old. I think those are the ages of my kids, and I can probably tell you most of their names. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, uh, man, they're running around, I, I bet those kids are a bear in the car, man, on long trips. Oh, yeah, they are. Well, now you know that you can upsell them the entertainment system. I have two minivans. I have a white Honda LX no-frills minivan that I bought when I was in an emergency and needed it. And then when I had more time to think and buy a bigger car, I got the LX minivan that the doors open automatically. But they got minivans now that have a cabin talk feature. You press a button in the front. You can talk to them in the back. They got noise-canceling headphones that come with it. And they got screens. And you can keep all those kids entertained. They got a million USB outlets. And they don't whine at you while you drive six and a half hours to St. Augustine. Ask me how I know. Getting six kids in the back of the van. Arguing over what's in their hands. Won't none Nintendo Switch when there's only two Nintendo Switches. Ask me how I know. Because <laughs> I've taken six kids in the car with two Nintendo Switches. That's how I know. All right, so now 
Yeah, yeah, I, I really do need to keep them entertained. And I guess most of all, you're worried about their safety, right? Yes. Yeah, safety is my primary concern. All right, safety is your primary concern. All right, this minivan has a five-star, quadruple five-star crash test rating. It's the safest minivan rated today, and not only that, it has top-notch entertainment issues. So I guess this is therefore the van for you, unless you lied to me when you said you wanted to keep your kids entertained, and your number one focus was safety. Now, you could say, no, sir. <laughs> uh, there's a risk-reward thing, and I would gladly sacrifice the safety of my children for a cheaper minivan. Maybe it's got a three-star rating. Hey, none of us are going to live forever. But they find out what you like. They already know the selling point of the minivan. They just make you say in so many words that you want it. And then you're in a consistency trap. Okay. And they don't want to abandon their position, so they have to agree with you. Now, where does this come in with Mormons? When Mormons come to your house, they know they're coming with a stigma. It used to be the stigma of polygamy. In fact, they've lost members over their history of polygamy. When, when Mormons nowadays find out, like, what are you doing? My great-grandfather had four wives? What's the deal with that? So the real historical reason that Mormons went away from polygamy is that Zachary Taylor wasn't going to let them in the United States, the Utah Territory, if they were polygamists. So oh, all of a sudden, they've got a new revelation that you don't do polygamy anymore. I guess it was more uh, important to be a state out there in the West with the Indians attacking you than it was to have four wives, because the Indians are going to kill three of them anyway. <laughs> so all right, yeah, it would be nice to have the protection of the U.S. Army, instead of them wanting to attack us because we're a crazy cult. But they changed that. And here they have a doctrine. Just like the Watchtower has new light, Mormons can get a new doctrine or change of doctrine from the apostles. They can change anything they want. They can say you have to wear purple on Thursday because God says so through the prophet. So they have a living prophet, sort of like the Pope, who can just come up with new doctrines. And as society changes and society, societal mores and norms change, the Mormons are going to have to adapt to that. We Southern Baptists and Baptist people of the book, we can't adapt to it because it is what it is. We're sola scriptura. All right? The Mormons, they can move. They can change, just like how black people couldn't, used to couldn't go on mission and hold the priesthood. Now they can. What changed? People stopped being racist. All right? And what's changed lately? Societal acceptance of homosexuality. And the official Mormon position is that homosexuality, homosexual acts are wrong. And you're in sin, and you could even get kicked out of the church if you engage in these homosexual acts. But now, that's, that's looked down upon in society as a whole. It's unloving. Uh, love is love, okay? So when they come, listen, when they come to your house, they don't know if you're a liberal Methodist or a Bible-thumping IFP person. They don't know. So what you do to them is say, well, you know, my religion teaches me that I'm saved by grace through faith alone, and that's not of works. You know, I've heard that Mormonism, you're saved by grace after all you can do, which seems works-based to me. I mean, that's one belief that's different. But tell me about this. 
Why don't why doesn't the latter why don't the Latter Day Saints condone gay marriage? Why is it a sin uh, to to act homosexually? I mean, these people love each other. They're neighbors just like us. Why is it wrong? And they're going to have to make an apologetic here. Don't let them just say, "Well, read James and get a burning in the bo- burning of the bosom," because James doesn't say anything about homosexuality. Okay, and they wouldn't need to because. The people of the audience of James know homosexuality is wrong already. Make them tell you why. And they're you're asking it's the position of the church. We'll say, well that they can answer that's the position of the church. Like, okay, but why is that the position of the church? Is that in the Bible? Is that in the Book of Mormon? Is that in the Doctrines of Covenants? Explain to me why homosexual acts are wrong and why you can't have homosexual marriage. Now now you're being subtle. Because you're talking about marriage. One man, one woman type stuff, right? And they've changed from being polygamists. Okay? So what you know is that their doctrine has changed with regard to marriage. Not that it was wrong before or right now. Just that it's changed. So what you're establishing is marriage. The sanctity of it. And listen, that's going to be a very hard thing for Mormons to change because in Mormonism, if you live a good Mormon life, you and your wife get your own planet and you got you get to, just like Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother do on Kolob, make spirit babies and you get to become your own god. You're a god of a new planet, solar system, galaxy, whatever. That's what Mormons believe. They're not gonna they're gonna tell you they're not gonna tell you that out of the gate, but they do. You know that you know that, they don't know that you know that. They know most people are ignorant. Now they're focusing on a common issue that they have to have an apologetic for. Just like other conservative denominations. They're not a denomination of all. They're a cult. But they've generally been conservative when it comes to family values. If you know a Mormon family, you know they're clean living people. They don't drink. They dress nice. I mean, they're like perfect picture of a little family. They give they give their money away. There's six or seven of them. They're usually well-educated. Pay attention to them. They don't live like aliens, okay? I, I would love to have Mormon neighbors on all sides of me. They're, they'd have kids for my kids to play with. They would never commit any crimes or cause any trouble. And it would be for people to just evangelize all the time until they got saved, okay? So, from a standpoint of sexuality, hold on, let me see who's coming to River. Oh, it's River Jam. I don't want to go to. I don't go to River Jam. I want to go to River Bend. That's in June, though. River Jam must be in the fall. Rome. Rome has River Jam. Sorry, I saw a billboard. But they're going to have the same apologetic need as a Baptist to explain why homosexuals aren't allowed to just love whoever they want. Love is love. Why they're not racist. So you'd be like. I mean, what? explain it to me. Like, why? And what they're going to have to do is use the scriptures to do it. Okay? They're going to have to use the scriptures to do it. They're going to have to go to scriptures to say that these are the scriptures on why homosexuality is a sin. It's not natural. You know, man isn't meant to be with women. And this is all basic stuff that even lost people know. Even Muslims know this. It's just unnatural. In these far, like in Africa, there's no question about this. It's just common sense. It's only where society gets too educated and liberal and loses common sense do you not believe 
that it's unnatural and men are meant to go with women. Nobody ever goes to the plumbing store and gets two male pipes. You know what I mean? They don't. You don't go to the Radio Shack. You don't. You don't go to wherever they sell computer parts now and get two male parts and no female part because plugs plug in the holes, right? You don't have an electrician who didn't put prongs on the plug or doesn't put the little receiving holes on the outlet jack. Male goes with female. Even lost, even atheist evolution people know this. So, alright, they explain all this from scripture. They explain all this from natural law. You're telling me, Mormon missionary, that a man can't marry another man even if they love each other. No. That's what they'll say. And then you say, that. well, could, what if God changed his mind? And if they're not thinking, if they're not cagey, they'll say, well, God can't change his mind. That's how he made people. And then you ask them, if the Mormon prophet said it was okay for men to marry men, would you no longer think the homosexual acts were a sin? And they'll say, so, well, the Mormon prophet wouldn't do that. That's what you're hoping, they say. Some will just say, yes, if he changed it. And then you'd say, so why should I trust the Mormon prophet if he says the opposite of what the Bible says and the opposite of what your church is taught from its inception? Not the church, your church has taught from its inception. So if he says yes, you get him there. Like, no, you just said it was wrong and you said why, and now you're saying it could change. Why would I want to be a part of a religion that's so deceptive and, and double-minded? It sounds to me like you pray about James. You believe James, right? Because James is the book you tell me to pray over for a burn, burning in the bosom. That one verse about like uh, the other tribe. Well, James also says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And if somebody teaches for hundreds of years, like 200 in their case, and then regulates people's lives on it about an issue as important as marriage and love, why would I believe those people when they come to my house? Because you're, you're not saying we were wrong and we're changing it. You're saying we were right and God has changed his mind and through the apostle, he has, we're Latter-day Saints, so now we're living in the modern world. We can change Marriage doesn't need to be that way anymore. Maybe all, maybe all the planets and godheads are full. Godhoods. Planets and godhoods are full. Can you explain to me why I should believe what you say when you don't even believe what you say? So that's what you say. If he says, oh yeah, I would believe. If he says, no, we wouldn't do that, I'd be like, well, polygamy used to be okay. And then when society changed on polygamy and it pressured Mormonism, you changed. So it seems to me that he's changed marriage rules before over controversy. So there's nothing stopping him from doing it now. In fact, he has an incentive to do so. Because gay people don't have kids that can pollute the church over time by having bad doctrine. You just have people who have a lot of disposable income come in there and get community and you can love bomb on them. Uh, but uh, you know, just as a percentage of people, they're not going to hurt anything. I don't know how I don't know how the apostle eventually gets elected. Like how the quorum of twelve are appointed. I imagine it's done through the bottom up somehow. 
with you know local uh, stake presidents and whatnot. But even if gays came in, they wouldn't be able to change a lot of family rules. And you can make something like if you're homosexually married, you can't go to the celestial kingdom. You're maybe limited to the telestial kingdom or even the terrestrial kingdom, which is not pl- not p- bad places to go when you die, according to their theology. But what you've done is you've put him in a consistency trap. You just said he wouldn't do that. But he did. So what do you really believe? Do you believe in what the Bible says? Or do you believe in whatever the Apostle says in the Quorum of the Twelve? Because you just use biblical support to support the Mormon position, which, by the way, is amenable to me. I would use biblical support to say the same thing. Now, I would say the very inclination of homosexuality is sinful, but nevertheless, there's disagreement on that. Um, so what's the difference? Do you believe the Bible? Or do you believe the prophet? And now they have to say, we don't really care about the safety of the minivan. We're not willing to pay for the kid entertainment features. I know I said that, but I really didn't believe it because I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to buy your van, Seth. You see the difference? Put him in that consistency trap. Because they have they have the same emotions and mental faculty. People sell stuff to Mormons all the time. And now that guy's going to have to... That's the first thing. There's a lot of things about living as a Mormon that are inconsistent, and they know it, and they just kind of power through it. But now, maybe for the first time in that young missionary's life, he's got that in his bosom, and that burns. We're inconsistent. And he'll either... You would hope he'll, he'd get saved and abandon Mormonism. But a lot of people abandon Mormonism over the sexuality issue. Homo, don't take this the wrong way. Homosexuality is great. Why is it great, Seth? It's a vile, unnatural sin that people are turned over to. It's bad for them mentally, physically, and spiritually. Why is it so great? Because when people like Andy Stanley, like Jen Hatmaker, who have always been heretics that couldn't be trusted, what they'll do is they'll come out and they'll be gay-affirming. The the way you can sort of prove to everybody, and I had the show about this, is, oh, you're gay-affirming? Now I know without argument that you're wicked, bad, and false. So you can use homosexuality as a tool to put Mormons in consistency traps where they're going to have to deal with that potential inconsistency because the apostle could very well change that. And you can use those emotions and things like love and things like marriage to show them like, hey, God's not doing this. It's some strategic decision by some guy that you say is an apostle. So that's it. That's the Mormon consistency trap. And by the way, consistency traps don't just work with selling cars. They work with all religions. Well, what about this? Muslims in Muslim countries are chopping off heads and marrying kids, but you here, you're a Muslim, and you say you believe the Quran as much as they do, but you're not doing that. Why are you being inconsistent? The Watchtower's got the same problem. They, they used to celebrate Christmas, now they can't. Birthdays, now they can't. They change stuff all the time. They call it new light, which contradicts the old light. Is God double-minded and unstable in all his ways? Because the Bible pretty much teaches that God's consistent and sovereign. By the way, 
these are synergistic religions. And that, that's where synergism leads. To the will of man instead of the will of God. Synergism always leads there. Always. Putting man up on the same level or above God. Which, by the way, Mormon Mormonism is... It might be the most synergistic religion in the United States, and they can become gods. You know, sometimes I just to be like, well, am I going to become a god? You know, like, I know what your playbook is. This is a way to feign ignorance of their playbook. And then beat them with their own plays. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. I'm not home. I had to stop by the post office. Lord willing... I'll be back with you again Thursday because tomorrow is a work from home day. As always, God bless. And as always, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.